1: Exact Tech Arena saw a ton of action over the past week, with some very high highs for gymnastics, but also some low lows for basketball. And while it's easy to get caught up in the ebbs and flows of any athletic season, there are often stark reminders of what really matters when you put everything in perspective. On today's show, FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter join us to discuss the shocking death of Kobe Bryant, a humbling week for hoops, perfection for gymnastics more preseason buzz for baseball, the Gators shining both the Senior Bowl and the Super Bowl, and celebrity deaths that hit closest to home in the PAT. Then, sophomore Andrew Nemhard joins us to discuss his Canadian roots, his development in year two, and much more. But first, the sports world and beyond were rocked by the sudden loss of Kobe Bryant and eight others in a tragic helicopter crash on Sunday, arguably the most significant public figure to pass away in this current age of social media. So to begin our roundtable, we asked Chris and Scott to discuss the legacy of the Black Mamba and what we should take away from this devastating event.
0: Well, you think of Kobe's legacy and you think of competitiveness, you think of work ethic. And you think of championships. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the gambit for a professional athlete, what they aspire to. Um, I think in, you know, this generation, the last generation of athletes is certainly, uh, I'll, I'll limit it to, to NBA. I mean, you think of alpha males and I think of three. I think of Michael, I think of Kobe and you think of LeBron and all of them have like the, you know, you say their, you say their first name, you know, you know what they're talking about. Uh, the vision of, of them going after their own teammates for whatever reason, a mistake, not playing as hard, something just being a total control and totally focused on winning. And, uh, you know, Kobe was kind of um, Robin. You, you thought of it maybe a little bit of Robin to Shaquille's Batman during those three straight early on. But then uh, Kobe carved out his own deal. Um with those back-to-back titles in two thousand and nine and two thousand and ten, I was uh, working at the Orlando Sentinel at the time and they beat the magic in two thousand and nine. i was I covered that series uh, uh, when those games were in Orlando. and th- I think I was out at the with the Florida basketball team this weekend and i and I wrote a story. I think the current crop of college players are LeBron players. but the five years ago they were Kobe players because they grew up watching Kobe dominate and watching Kobe win championships and what have you. and Everyone was anxious to see what came from Kobe. What was going to happen with Kobe's life now and the relationship he had with his family and his, and his daughters specifically and how he embraced the girls basketball, how he kind of walked away from basketball, but found, but found a different connection with it with his daughter. It's one of these pop culture kind of, uh, tragedies that really bring a lot of people together for whatever reasons and make you think of, make you think of things. I, I remember being in the New England Patriots press box for a playoff game. The night Kobe had uh, had 81, I, believe, I don't know if it was a divisional game, but it was definitely a playoff game, an AFC championship game maybe. And I certainly remember, uh, you know, we were tuning into the game, his last game where the Golden State's trying to break the Bulls record and Kobe Bryant outshines him by getting 60 in his last game, which made you wonder, why was it his last game? if he's getting 60 points. But uh, uh, it's something obviously we're going to be talking about for, you know, this is going to linger a little bit and certainly it's going to uh, uh, just dominate NBA All-Star Weekend, which will also, of course, be a salute to David Stern, the late commissioner. But the outpouring of tweets and and what have you, and, and Florida draped to uh, a home-and-away uh, Kobe jersey on their bench before their game the other night uh, against Mississippi State, um, it's something that, that hit everybody, uh, men, women, young, old, and uh, certainly something that you know, obviously you can't convey the
2: shock of it all that when you first heard the heard the news well for me i mean uh, you know it's kind of funny i was always a, a huge shack fan he's probably my all-time favorite pro athlete and of course uh, i've read a couple of books about those lakers teams that phil jackson wrote uh and, you know kobe quite frankly wasn't always characterized in those books as i would say flattering um I just, I mean, I'm like, you know, I don't have a lot different thoughts on it than what Chris does. If someone's asking me, what am I going to remember about Kobe Bryant? It's just what a great competitor. I mean, he is truly, I think, and I'm not talking about skill. I'm not talking about talent or what he did in basketball. But if you, if you look across pro sports history and think of just the greatest competitors that have ever played in their sport. I mean, I think he would be in in the top five. Uh, that's just what I remember about him. Uh, yeah, uh, of course, the the tributes in the last few days have you know they've been positive, and it's just a, such a huge loss and a shock. I think as time unfolds, usually on these things, you'll you'll get a broader picture of who he really was. And I think there'll be some people. I mean, I think in the end, it's just going to be they may not always like him uh, playing against him or even with him. But man, that they probably never met a greater competitor to have as your teammate. And uh, you know, it's just one of those things that it's still kinda of setting in. You know, I watched uh I watched a great interview this morning that Shaq did, I guess last night. And Shaq had not talked to him, you know, in about three or four years. Mm-hmm. And uh his message was that, you know, he wish he had and he's gonna stop procrastinating on calling people who really meant something to him and uh it's probably a good lesson for all of us, you know. Mm-hmm. Check in on your friends, uh see how they're doing because you really you just don't know the great competitors did it at both ends i mean you think uh, those three people i mentioned before
0: michael and kobe and lebron i mean kobe uh, ironically uh and sadly or maybe fittingly lebron of course passes kobe uh as the third all-time scorer in nba history but kobe was also i believe uh eight time first team all defensive team and uh to be a lead on both ends is truly, truly special, but it also speaks to the substance inside of you when it comes to your competitive spirit. And to Scott's point, and to the point I made earlier, there's he's up there among the, the, the greatest in the history of sports. Yeah,
1: there's no question. And uh, for people my age, which, well, Chris thinks I'm 13, I'm actually uh, the other way around, I'm 31. Uh, Kobe is, is who we grew up watching. So, you know, you know, it's hard to remember basketball before Kobe because for guys my age, I mean, when we got into it, he was the star. So certainly a, a huge loss. And we'll revisit this a little bit later too, in talking about the broader picture of when athlete or celebrity deaths have had a huge impact on us. But I want to turn our attention now to, to Gator basketball, what's going on right now. And, uh, we'll hear in a few minutes from Andrew Nemhard, his thoughts and his teammates on Kobe as well. But, uh, yeah, you know, Chris, looking at, at this week, it was a really, really big week for this team in terms of opportunities. And we talked about, uh, on our last podcast, having Baylor come in and, you know, Florida really being able to make their resume stand out in a huge way if they could have gotten a victory at home. That did not happen. And then they had another chance to kind of recover from that on Tuesday against Mississippi State, looked for sure like it was going to happen, and then it, it just cratered on them. So uh, I guess your assessment of what we've seen in the last week, two really important games for Florida, and both of them with, with critical shortcomings that have left them in a, a precarious position.
0: Yeah, and both at home, and you use the the word crater, that's a a pretty appropriate in regards to uh, the game Tuesday night uh, against Mississippi State. I mean, in in both of the post-game situations, after Baylor, again, number one team in the country, a great team, really, really good team, a connected team, kind of reminded me the way they play and the way they share it and the way they go about their business, just in watching them live for one game. Reminded me a little bit of the 2014 team here. They got a, a lot going on for them right now and they have a chance to make a run deep into march but having said that florida played well first i'd say 12 minutes of the game then lost control of the game and tried to come back a little too little too late then the uh mississippi state game had a kind of similar feel 16 16 point lead at home and come out in the second half and you give up at one point the last i think five minutes of the first half to about four minutes left in the game Mississippi state at 20 of 25 shots. Wow. that's 80%. That's not just really good offense. Uh, that's defense that needs to be reexamined. And when you have, um, when you have, uh, uh, coaches and players afterwards, uh, questioning, uh, energy and, uh, hustle and, and maturity and stuff at this, we're 20 games in now. And, uh, Mike White said after um, he's looking forward to meeting with his guys. He 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 wasn't able to do it Wednesday. He was gonna do it Thursday, but I don't know I don't know what you say to him that you maybe you haven't said to them already. Um because uh the the that's a conversation that you probably shouldn't be having, you know, seven games into your southeastern conference season. I mean, they talked after that game against Baylor about protecting the home floor, Mississippi State comes in and erases a sixteen point lead and really just took the game over. Um, offensively and defensively. Florida was 0-7 shooting in the, uh, from the three-point line in the second half after going 8-14 for 14 in the first half. They shot uh, less than 30%. I think it was 29.6% in the second half after shooting 57% in the first half. So uh, Kerry Blackshear said we were two different teams out there. Yeah, the, the team that played in the second half was the, t- was the team that determined the game. Now, having said that, Mississippi State gets a lot of credit. They are a wildly athletic team. Reggie Perry is going to be – a first-round draft There were a ton of scouts in the building uh, uh, Tuesday, uh, looking at him. Um, but you know, you're up 16. You know, you got to have some kind of uh, foot-to-the-throat kind of mentality and put a team away. It was a 10-point lead in the uh, second half. It was, uh, I think, it was nine, maybe six minutes into the second half, and then a nine-nothing run changed it. And then once Mississippi State took the lead, I mean, Florida went to a 1-3-1. I want to say with 10 minutes left in the game. And a tie game, and Mississippi State went down, passed it a couple times, got a wide open three to, to take the lead, and never gave it back. So whatever Florida tried, Mississippi State was able to solve. And this is something the the, the coaches and players are going to have to collectively deal with because again, I can't emphasize enough: 20 games in the season, you're 12 and 8. Uh, you're now 4 and 3 in the SEC, which isn't terrible, but in the pack with maybe six or seven other teams in a league that may this year not great. Like it's been the last couple of years, maybe a four or five bid league. So, uh, it's time to start, uh, distinguishing yourselves from others in a positive way, not in a negative way. And, um, uh, it was a somber post game as you would expect after that. And, uh Florida's going to have chances to win games, but I I said going into the Mississippi state game, you know, about seven straight games they were about to play and they were going to be favorites in every one of them, all SEC games, of course. And, uh, that wasn't a good way to to get that runoff.
1: And, and as the calendar turns to February here, more and more people are going to start thinking about bracketology, trying to project out ahead. And I know just from from watching the game on Tuesday before the game, uh, I know that Jill Nardi had Florida in there as a 10 seed of Mississippi State on the bubble. You got to think after that result that flips around, and and Florida right now probably on the outside looking in, which is hard to believe. Um, you're Chris, you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. We see the reaction going on. There's a lot of people that are very, very nervous that this team is going to miss the tournament. How dire is that situation? Do you believe right now? And how do they change it with what's coming up on the schedule?
0: Well, I mean, it's, you are what your record says you are. I've, I've always believed that from the time Bill Parcell said it, however, 30 years ago. Um, season ended now. Like you said, they were last in, maybe they're last out now. I don't know. What does bracketology mean at this point? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, uh, everything can change in a month, especially in this season of college basketball. I'm not sure how much seeding is really going to matter in this particular NCAA basketball tournament, the way some of these, uh, the way some of these games have gone, uh, not some of these games, a ton of these games have gone from the beginning of the season. But uh, it doesn't matter what your seed is if you're unseeded. <laughs> right now, the Gators could potentially be unseeded in an NCAA tournament. So what's next for, for Florida basketball? Uh, a trip to Vanderbilt. They've lost 24 straight conference games. Wow. Okay. Dating the last two years. 24 in a row. And their best player, uh, Aaron Nedsmith, uh, is probably out for the season after injuring his foot. He was leading the SEC or second in the SEC in scoring when he got hurt. Um, Florida's got to win the game. I, I'm an advocate saying there are no, uh, there are no must win games in January. Okay. We're turning the calendar to February. They got to win this game probably <laughs> and, and be, because you don't want to be that team, right? Right. I lose it to a team that's lost 24 straight. That we expected to win and that's going to put a little more pressure on them. So there's a lot working against this team right now. Uh, there's some things they got to fix internally. Uh, the culture and chemistry isn't great. Both the players and the coaches are talking about a lack of maturity, uh, with this team. And it, I, I, again, I'll, I'll say myself that's, these are bad conversations to be having 20 games into a season. So, uh, is it fixable? Yes. Uh, uh Scotty Lewis said after the game, um, against Mississippi State that focus is a fixable thing. And if that's what it is, yes, yes, it is. Because we've seen how they can play. Why are they only doing it in twelve minutes for twelve minutes in a game? And again, a week ago, we were, they barely lost a game uh, at LSU, and the game before that, they had stomped all over Auburn by twenty-two points. Um, Auburn is a good team. Uh, Florida whacks Auburn here, so we know what Florida is capable of doing. But that version of Florida has not been around the last two games and somehow they have to, uh, in, in in the laboratory, which is the Florida Basketball Facility, they have to rediscover that version of the Gators.
1: Well, and as they try and find themselves, uh, one Gator team that seems to have already found themselves would be Gator Gymnastics. And Scott, I know you were there last week and they had not only the, the nation's best performance of the young gymnastics season, but also perfection from Trinity Thomas as well. You finally got that said, Adam. After, uh, 10,
2: uh, near misses, uh, finally got it on the, uh, uneven bars and, uh, what a treat it was for the, the sellout crowd at the Odom is the best crowd personally that I'd, I've ever seen there. I mean, it, it there was standing room only around between the first and, the, uh, deck and the upper deck. I mean, that's how packed it was in there. And, uh, you know, LSU, anytime they come to town, it's a big meet. Obviously they were national runner up last year. Uh, the Gators took care of them and uh, it wasn't just Trinity Thomas I mean she was great won the all around title but it was really a statement win by the Gators because they know that they're talented they had beaten Arkansas at home and Missouri on the road and they knew that that was a different test with LSU coming to town and uh, they really went out there and performed at a high level whatever event it was, you had someone with a 995 or higher score for the Gators and nearly every point, I think, but maybe Vault and, uh, you know, behind Training Thomas and Lisa Bauman had a great meet. Um, that was the kind of performance that head coach Jenny Rowland certainly, uh, was hoping for. Uh, she got it. And I just think it sets up what the possibilities are for this team. Uh, you know, if you go out there and perform like that consistently, you're, you're definitely going to be knocking at the door on a national championship by at the end of the year. And we all know how last year ended for the Gators in a a shocking way where they didn't make the uh, finals of the NCAA tournament for, I think only the second time in program history. So that's the goal. Uh, All early signs are indicating that this team uh, should have no problem getting back there. And then if they can uh, string together some performances like they did against LSU later in the year, uh, They should be right there in the hunt uh, when the NCAA Finals do roll around in Fort Worth, Texas in April.
1: Well, and one team that uh, is also hoping to have a return to form after a disappointing year is Gator Baseball. We talked about them last week, Scott, with the preseason polls coming out, and of course, Florida with uh, very high expectations. But they're they're really making the rounds for this final season at stay and They even showed up at the basketball game and did the number one thing you can do if you want to curry favor with students, and that is they threw T-shirts into the crowd.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's a, they're already one zero on the year. Anytime you, uh, <laughs> you throw those shirts. Into the stands, made some uh, students happy and getting some uh, excitement about what's going to be the final season at McKeithen Stadium. They opened the season on February 14th at home against Marshall. They want to make it a special one in their last season at McKeithen. And and this is a team that I know Kevin O'Sullivan really likes. Uh, They've got some good returning players, names that people are familiar with. And Austin Langworthy and Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich. But there are also some new players. Uh, Josh Revere, the shortstop, probably going to be the starting lineup on opening night. You know, a catcher, Nathan Hickey, uh, a guy who was threatening the uh, state home run record last year at Jacksonville Providence High School. He's uh, just one of these natural hitters who had, uh, sullied his staff really like and think can make an impact right away at catcher and in the lineup. Um, and it's a typical Florida team, uh, Adam, loaded with guys who are throwing in the mid nineties, uh, a very versatile lineup going to be good defensively. Uh, so last year, you know, they finished 34 26, made it into the, into the tournament, but got ousted in the first round. And uh, I think this year they're, they're certainly looking to exceed those expectations. And the, and so are the pollsters, as you mentioned. I mean, they're, they're ranked in the top 10. And I think a couple of the polls, uh, knocking at the door and a couple others. So, um, Gonna be a gonna be a fun season, I think. In the last one, McKeithan and and uh, you know it's a lot less than two weeks away, believe it or not.
1: Mm-hmm. When well, the new stadium really taking shape as well, and every time you see new pictures come out from that, it's just really really impressive what they're building. And I know people have been looking for something like that for a very long time for this program. So to have that right across the street from the newly renovated softball stadium, a uh, a good time for the bat and ball sports on the University of Florida campus.
2: Yeah, I was just along those lines. I have Scott Strickland the AD actually uh, took the baseball team on its first tour of the new Florida Ballpark last week. Uh they went over and checked it out. I mean, if you haven't seen it, check it out online. That place is really coming along and uh, it's it's going to truly change the the fan perspective of going to a Florida Gators baseball game and uh the players got their first taste of it. You you know, just from uh, looking at them in the video, you can tell they wish they, they could play there right away. But uh, not too much longer, but it's definitely going to be a game changer for the program.
1: It would not be a Gator Tales if we didn't talk about football in some form. And uh, this past weekend was the Senior Bowl. And of course, this weekend is the Super Bowl. Both of those involved and are involving former Gators. Scott, tell us about those connections.
2: Well, let's start with Senior Bowl. A uh, couple of things that stood out from the Florida perspective. First of all, Lamichael Ryan What well, you know, he already went out with a great Orange Bowl, scoring those three touchdowns, winning offensive MVP. Then he goes up into the Senior Bowl in his hometown of Mobile, Alabama, and has an excellent week of practice. I think he raised the stock, stock some. And then he scores the first touchdown of the game with a on a play that Florida fans have certainly seen, but showed it to a bigger audience. Took a pass out of the backfield and, and found the corner and lunged into the end zone after a nice run. And he's, uh, I, as I said, I think his performance uh, certainly did nothing to hurt his stock in the upcoming NFL draft. And, and to do it there in your hometown, that was a big thing. And then Van Jefferson got a lot of attention uh, for his route running. Again, things that I think Florida fans have seen the last couple of years. But, uh, it, you know, when you're at these kind of events – it's not so much about who wins the game or who loses or, or that kind of stuff that, you know, fans of the Gators care about. It's really about what intangibles these players bring, how they grade out in certain skills. If you're going to be a wide receiver and you're, you're going to want to play in NFL, you want to be a great route runner. And, uh, Van Jefferson, uh, you know, I've seen so many tweets and comments on social media, how impressive the, the NFL personnel who, who really come and watch all those practices? Were with just where he is in that regard to the game, and he also so showed some great hands. Uh, so I think between uh, Lamichael, P. Ryan, and Van Jefferson, both guys uh, raised their stock up there. And the Super Bowl, uh, a couple of Gators, one on each team: the Marcus Robinson on the Chiefs, the wide receiver, and then of course Marcel Harris, the defensive back on the 49ers. Those guys went against each other some during their two seasons of teammates at Florida. Uh So maybe we'll see him go against each other on Sunday down in Miami. Uh You know, you look at both of those guys, and DeMarcus Robinson. You know, his his moment at Florida. I still remember that that overtime win against Kentucky when he set the school record with 15 catches. That game had a good career, but he's he's carved out a nice place for himself in the NFL with the Chiefs. And if you're a wide receiver, I can't think of playing anywhere better with uh, Pat Mahomes as your quarterback. So he's found his place in the Now he's in the Super Bowl, and Marcel Harris, a guy who, remember, at Florida had that knee injury that cost him at the end of his career, but he still got drafted and uh, has found a spot out on the 49ers, was playing a lot earlier in the year. I don't know what his role is going to be on Sunday, but uh, either way, we know that there's going to be at least one Gator who uh, leaves uh, Miami with the Super Bowl ring, so uh, Good for both of those guys, and hopefully we'll get to see them both play.
1: Yeah, and there does seem to be a, a little bit of a lack of buzz around the Super Bowl, and I think that was the case to begin with. And then the Kobe news obviously has just shifted the, the entire temperature and focus of not just fans but but the, the nation, really. Um, and that's what I want to come back around to for our PAT because – I can say, guys, just from talking to some of my friends as well, uh, this has hit people really, really hard. And for some people my age, it's the hardest they've ever been hit by a celebrity or an athlete death, someone you admired or looked up to for a really long time. Uh, I'm curious for for each of you, from your lifetimes, what celebrity athlete-type death has had the biggest impact on you and why?
2: Well, when you say biggest impact... uh... I'll go back to when I was a teenager, and I don't know. I maybe have mentioned this before here. I don't know. But uh, I remember, I mean, I was a huge sports fan, obviously. And and uh, Lim Bias was a great, great basketball player at Maryland. And I still remember you know, hearing the news that he died at, what the day after he got drafted in the NBA to the Celtics. He was going to join the Celtics and kind of be the eventual replacement, uh, really a small forward for Larry Bird. And they were going to be teammates still for a while, too. And uh, he, he was going into a, a great situation. And, you know, he died because of a drug overdose. And uh, I just, you know, when you say impact me, I mean, I remember after that, it wasn't easy to uh, to convince me to, you know, not to stay away from drugs. And I think they that was the case for a lot of young people, because, I mean, here was a guy in the prime of his life and uh, he had this great opportunity ahead and. Uh, unfortunately made a bad decision that that's one that has always stuck with me and that's 30 years later but as far as just total shock I mean Kobe's right there at, I think 1a I think my number one all time athlete death was probably I still remember when Del Earnhardt died and it was like it was during the event the sports biggest event the Daytona 500 I remember I was at the Devil Ray Spring Training Complex covering a, a day of spring training and we, all the riders were out there uh, just kind of waiting to talk to people when the news broke. And I was like, whoa. I mean, it, you know, that was another guy who was in the prime of his career. He was the number one name in that sport. Uh, no one bigger. And uh, he died in the biggest event in the sport. Uh, I think, so That that's just uh, another one that kind of registered on the same level as Kobe's did, at least for me.
0: Well, as somebody who's, got a few more uh, uh years on you guys. Uh I do remember in the 60s the obviously I was, a, I, was I was just a kid but the the assassinations of political figures were, were obviously um you know dominated the headlines for so much of that decade but something else that dominated uh that decade all through it all whether you're talking about the politics and the social changes and the 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 space program and everything was music The coming of age of music and obviously at the forefront of that was the Beatles. And, um, I was in college in 1980 when John Lennon was assassinated. And you think of how you grow up, um, to a soundtrack of something, you know, I, I grew up listening to Beatles on top of Beatles and to think that, you know, some guy would just walk up to John Lennon and shoot him dead on a street in uh, New York for basically no reason. Um, that was really hard to deal with. And of all people, Howard Cosell was the one who told the world during a Monday night game, uh, I believe it was between the dolphins and the new England Patriots, if I'm not mistaken, but I was watching that in my dorm in college. And, uh, that was, that's just something that stays with you. Your music stays with you your whole life. And certainly at that point in 1980, uh, the Beatles have been broken up 10 years. The guy's 40 years old. I think the, uh, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Ringo Starr, you know, right around that same age, uh, there's still some hope the Beatles would maybe get together again one time, and that's something that, if you were a kid or growing up with that music, that's something you were probably hoping for. But that was that was my uh, one thing that sticks out in my mind. Um, it was a crossover of pop culture and um, resonated with a lot of people. Reasons for uh, other than his fame, um,
1: because it, uh, the music meant so much to everybody. The only one I could think of that felt bigger to me was uh, was Robin Williams. That was a really tough one being someone who grew up on Aladdin, Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, but yeah, sometimes and, and you can't explain it. It's like why do I feel so close to someone I never met? That's something so many people are trying to process this week and and will probably still be thinking about for for a long time. But uh I'm glad we we're able to address it here. Really good tributes shared by both you guys about Kobe and of course trying to equate it because that's what we always try and do. We try and find perspective and sometimes it is uh it's hard, but we uh, we do our best. Um that's all we got for this week, so I encourage everyone to check out both Chris and Scott's content on FloridaGators.com and follow them on Twitter at Gators Scott at Gators Chris for all of the latest orange and blue happenings. Gentlemen, thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam.
1: Much like a quarterback, point guards are often put under a microscope and held accountable for their team's results, for better or worse. This isn't news to Andrew Nemhart, the Uber talented Canuck who has served as Florida's floor general since he set foot on campus. We spoke to Nemhart about his trials and tribulations with the Gators to this point, but began by getting his reaction to the heartbreaking news that came out on Sunday.
3: I mean he's a huge figure. Everybody's in my my kind of generation has watched him play and in his prime and kind of seen him kind of dominate the game, but uh just just from like how he carries himself, I feel like people, my eyes can kind of just look, look up to him and how he kind of just works so hard to get what he got. And um, that's what that's what I kind of looked up to him for, for sure.
1: Just talking to teammates, as you guys found found this out, I mean, what was it like reacting to this? I know a lot of people, especially in the basketball world, just are having trouble processing it. How, how have you sort of gone through that with, with, your, with your teammates?
3: Yeah, honestly, we found out right before we went to practice yesterday. And we were all just like shocked, like Honestly, none of us could really comprehend and believe, like, what just happened because we just, he's one of those guys, like, he's so, he's so great. You don't realize he's like a human still. Like, he, like, look at a guy like that. You don't even think he could die, honestly. Like, he's just, like, immortal, honestly. But, I mean, it was crazy. It was a shock to everybody. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to talk now sort of about uh, your background. Um we know you're from up north, so can you tell us about growing up in Canada, your family and, and how you got started early on in basketball?
3: Yeah, I grew up in like a small, small town probably thirty, forty minutes outside of Toronto. Um, my dad brought me into the game, he's been my coach kinda all the way up until high school. Um, I started when I was three years old and, and the game has been growing in Canada a lot, so I kind of have been a part of a good group of guys who kind of helped push and drive the game forward, I
1: think. Yeah, so I was curious, what is basketball culture like in Canada compared to the U.S.? Because I think most people think it's all about hockey, and you you wouldn't think basketball would be that big of a deal. But what was that like when you were younger, and how has that changed today?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, hockey is like the kind of the king in Canada, and um, everybody growing up kind of plays hockey. But as of recently, kind of basketball's been growing a lot more. I'm not as big as it is in America, but it's, it's, it's been growing a lot more, and a lot of kids are kind of taking that step towards playing basketball over hockey now. And this has become a huge thing, and it's been become more competitive, I think.
1: Now, did you play hockey growing up, or did you avoid it entirely?
3: Uh, I played, like, street hockey. Okay. My friends and stuff like that, and like I was, I just skating and stuff, but I didn't actually play like organized hockey.
1: How is that pot? Doesn't every single kid in Canada play ice hockey at some point?
3: Yeah, almost almost every kid. But it's starting to move
1: <laughs> away from that now. It's starting to move away from basketball. Is actually growing a lot more now. So, what do you think has spurred that growth of the game? I mean, I, I guess the Raptors winning a title has helped in the last year, but even before that, how and why was the game growing?
3: Yeah, I think just the just having the Raptors in camp, like having the Canadian team in Toronto was huge. And I think Vince was one of the main guys who kind of started that trend of just everybody like starting to like the game. And then we started seeing more more Canadians against the NBA. And I think it just gave everybody hope that they could do the same thing. So everybody's just trying to kind of follow follow the footsteps of the guys ahead of them. Mm-hmm.
1: So after you started playing, at what point were you like, oh, wow, I could really go somewhere with this? When did it click for you that basketball could be a major part of your future?
3: Probably my sophomore, junior year in high school when I made the move to play basketball in America. That's when it kind of became more reality. I felt like I could, if I put the work in, I can get to where I want to go in this game.
1: How did you go about making that decision? I mean, to what degree do people in Canada even talk about college basketball as, as a possibility?
3: Yeah, um, now it's, it's a bigger possibility. A lot of people talk about it. Um, so when I was younger, um, my friend actually went to Mount River before me and he kind of gave me um, a good a good word to the coaches and the coaches started recruiting. And um, so I kind of went down to visit and felt like it was a place where I, where I could develop my game and take it to the next level. And um, I saw a lot of other guys in Canada going to play prep school. So I felt like I wanted to take that route, too.
1: You know, for a lot of people going to college is tough because you're, you're getting really far away from home but even having done that a few years before college for you how difficult was that being so far away from home at what I mean 14 15 or 15 I, I guess right? Yes,
3: yes 15 at a time but um it was it was tough um
1: got, got homesick
3: at some times kind of just missing the family being so far from home and and um being young and not really realizing that the hard work you do now could pay off later. So I didn't really realize that. Kind of some hard, hard days, hard nights. Just thinking about like well I can't just be home and have fun with my friends, like they go to like local schools and stuff. But I, I grew matured and, and understand that it's just for the better, honestly.
1: When the recruiting process started, what made Florida stand out? How early were the gators in on you and, and what left an impression? They were in very early. They're one of my
3: I think first three offers that I had sophomore year so um, they're there they're pretty early and um, I just like the fit like the idea of playing for the coaching staff and and being at Florida with a, a very competitive group of players around me. Um, also like playing their schedule is great. Um, there's a lot of things that went into it but I thought like it was just all of them kind of came together and clicked here at Florida.
1: Once you got on campus what were the biggest adjustments you had to make going from You know, prep school, which is one thing, to college, which is obviously on a a whole nother scale.
3: Um, Off the court, probably the biggest adjustment is just having more freedom in prep school. You got to do, you you do a lot for yourself at prep school, but you got to do even more probably at college. Um, And just having the freedom and knowing what to do with your time and, and, and managing your time on and off the court. And then on, on the court. Just just uh little adjustments to the speed of play, um, the physicality of the game.
1: Having basically, you know, the three of you guys with you, Keontae and Noah come in together, how quickly did that did that bond form and how important was that to making your freshman year so successful?
3: It formed really quickly, honestly. Um those two are really outgoing guys. I'm kinda of more, more quiet than they are, but um we clicked very quickly. Um, we lived together for the past two years, so we're together, honestly, all the time, so it's, just, it's easy for us to kind of vibe off of each other, and, and we connect well on the court, too.
1: Among the three of you guys, if you're living together for two years, you, I'm sure you know a good bit of stuff about each of them now. Who would you say is the, who's the messiest guy?
3: The messiest? Um, I don't know. We're
1: all actually pretty
3: clean guys, honestly. Okay, that's all good. All pretty clean guys.
1: Who is the ringleader? Who decides, like, where you're going to eat, what you're going to do, what game, to? who, who runs the show when the three of you guys are together?
3: Uh, I wouldn't say anybody, so I feel like it's just whoever comes with the idea first will just pitch the idea and everybody kind of just goes with it,
1: <laughs> honestly. Who is the goofiest of the three of you? Goofiest is probably, uh, oh, that's tough. It's not me, though. It's one of those two. For sure. <laughs> have you had any really, I mean, any really funny stories you guys have had of being together the last two years? I mean, really just off the court stuff of, uh, of some of the, that, that bonding that we're talking about?
3: A lot of inside jokes, a lot of kind of just goofy stuff we do at the crib, just us three. We watch a lot of movies. Just there's a lot of goofy stuff that like I can't really like remember exactly what it is. There's too much but of it, of right? Yeah, it's too much of
1: it. Yeah, I, just, I understand that. Um, in the spring, when you had a chance to to put your name in the hat for the NBA draft, what was the process like for you as you went through that pre-draft? ordeal and what feedback did you get that you felt was really valuable to you
3: Mm -hmm. that was a really good process um I felt like I learned a lot of more a lot more about the business side of the game and and what it would take for me to get to the next level and uh, the feedback I got was great I felt like it was it was accurate and what I felt like like I thought I was going to receive the same type of information coming out of it and uh, I felt like I had a good opportunity to come back and and improve on those things and then maybe try to try it again at the end of this season or next season whenever my time is
1: did any of the feedback they gave you surprise you, or it was something where maybe you hadn't thought about that part of your game that they identified as a, a need, or something you you had to work on?
3: No, not not really. Um, I think uh, I I um, like to like to evaluate my my game after every season and, and look at what I need to get better at, and what I need, what I feel like overall I need to improve, um, like the areas I need to improve. And I think they were very consistent with what they thought I need to do too. So it was it was reassuring for sure.
1: So that was an experience for you going through that learning something about yourself and then I'm sure you learn even more when you play with Team Canada at the uh, the FIBA World Cup. What did you take away from that experience?
3: Um, the biggest thing I took away from that experience is that um I feel very confident about my ability to play at the next level and um playing with all those like NBA players in that in that setting, I felt very comfortable and I felt like I, I belonged there. that's what I think the biggest thing I took from it is I I belonged at that at that level for sure.
1: You're obviously used to wearing a Gator jersey and representing Florida. How different was it representing your country and, and putting on that jersey and recognizing why all of you were there and, and what you were mm-hmm. serving?
3: It was a humbling experience, honestly. Um, I played with the National team since I was probably 15 or 16. And I played almost every year. Just kind of as, as a younger player, always your dream was to kind of play on the senior team with like the kind of the bigger guy. So it was just uh, my first or my, my second time. It was just a, but at a bigger stage, it was, it was a, it was a humbling experience and a great experience just to learn from all those guys, for sure.
1: I'm trying to think of who, who is the GOAT when it comes to Canadian basketball. I'm, I'm not even sure who it would be. I mean, you know, China's got Yao Ming. Who, who does Canada have that's like your guy in basketball?
3: Uh, I think Steve Nash is probably the GOAT for Canadian basketball. He has two MVPs. That's
1: right. I forgot about um, Steve Nash. He's been retired yeah. for too long. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he's the GOAT, and especially at my position. So someone I look up to a lot. Um, really knows the game. He's, he's just probably the best Canadian player we've had so far.
1: Have you had a chance to spend any time with him or meet him over the years?
3: Yeah, yeah. I've met him a couple times. Um, I had a workout with him a few summers back. But a real, real nice guy. Always trying to kind of push his knowledge onto the younger guys and, and drive the game forward. So uh, great, great ambassador for, for our country, for sure.
1: What tips did he give you that were helpful? Anything in particular that, that you can remember?
3: Yeah, we we're we we're doing drills about um kind of balance and being able to see the floor. Those are like the biggest things he was trying to teach us. Like always having our head up and so just just to see the game in a, in a better way. Mm-hmm.
1: And playing for the national team, as you said, I mean at multiple levels for a while now, you've had a chance to go all across the world. So I'm I'm curious which destinations have been the the standouts to you? Which places have you gone that have really had an impact?
3: Definitely Australia this past summer was one of my favorite ones to go to um kind of just felt it felt similar to america and canada but it's just a different kind of lifestyle over there a little bit china was exciting too um very different lifestyle over there and i and I like europe a lot when i went over there too so a lot of places i, I really like but but I, if i had to pick one i'd say australia
1: are there any places you haven't been that you would like basketball to take you in the future
3: mm-hmm. yeah i want to go to uh i want to go to greece and italy those are two places I'd love to go to.
1: Why Greece and Italy specifically? What what about those piqued your interest?
3: Um, I just see pictures of the places. Uh, and back home, I have a lot of friends and family, um, that are from Italy, from Greece, and have been there. And, um, and said it's like said great things about it. So I'd love to kind of experience it too.
1: You talked about being really good at self-evaluation and making sure you do that really all the time. When you look at where you were as a freshman compared to where you are now as a sophomore, where do you think you've made the most gains on the court?
3: Uh, I think um, my confidence and my comfortability level is the, the biggest the biggest step I've taken forward and just kind of making sure my presence is known more throughout the game. I still have a ways to go in that in that area, but just making sure my presence now.
1: It seems like you've also been a little more aggressive in terms of taking shots from outside and really pushing the action from that point guard spot. Has that been an emphasis as well? And is that coming from you, or is that coming from some of that external help you've gotten?
3: Yeah, it's coming from, I think, external help and myself. Um, I wanted to kind of have a big role in the team this year, and I think I've I've taken that role and tried to embrace it as best I can. And I, I know I could do even more with that, but just trying to do my best in that in that area.
1: We talked, already about some of the time you spend with, uh, specifically with Noah and Keontae off the floor. When you guys are all hanging out, what are you guys doing? What is, what is the go-to activity for you guys when you're chilling?
3: Honestly, nothing crazy. Just chilling, watching games, college games, NBA games, maybe a movie or something. Just anything that's going to help us just relax, take our mind off the game for a little bit, enjoy uh, each other's company.
1: Are you guys like watch Netflix or you guys let's go out to a movie?
3: Uh, both honestly, but usually Netflix though you don't have the uh, the biggest budget for constant movies. So. <laughs> just stay stay on the Netflix.
1: What is the last movie that you saw in a theater?
3: In the theater was Just Mercy. I recently just watched that. That's oh, it was a good, really wasn't well, it? Really good story. Yeah, a really good movie. Yeah, I'd definitely recommend that to anybody who wants to watch that.
1: Yes, yeah, that, that's good stuff. You're getting some that's, that's socially conscious. So you're, when you're getting out mm-hmm. to the theater, you're you're making that matter.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. That's a that's a big movie for sure. I highly recommend that for everybody.
1: What movie do you pop on when you guys are at home and you just need to hang out and like just need to take your mind off? Is there like a go-to movie for you guys?
3: Uh, not a go-to movie, but recently we've been on Disney Plus a lot lately. Just nice. Watching, like, <laughs> kind of old cartoons, kids' movies and stuff that we used to watch. It you know? kind of actually still pretty good to us. <laughs> Favorite yeah. Disney movie? Favorite Disney movie. Ooh, that's tough. Oh, I like Big Hero 6.
1: Big Hero, wow, that's, that's a different one. Big Hero 6.
3: Yeah, Big Hero 6 is a good one.
1: What do you like so much about Big Hero 6?
3: Uh, I'm not sure actually exactly what I like so much about it. It was just, uh, it was just a good movie. I watched it recently for the first time. I know what kind of put me onto it. It's a really good one though.
1: It's a hidden gem. It's a hidden gem.
3: Yeah, hidden hidden gem for sure.
1: Speaking of hidden things, I'm curious if you have any hidden talents or skills that would surprise people. I mean Scotty can dance, he can sing. We had him on last week. What what can you do that people wouldn't expect from
3: him? Mm. Oh, hidden talent is probably soccer. I played soccer a lot when I was growing up. Hmm. That's like my probably biggest hidden talent. I felt like I was pretty good at soccer too.
1: Does soccer play into your court game at all? Are there any instincts or skills from yeah, that that translate?
3: For sure, because I think the position I played in soccer was like a center, center midfield, so he kind of like similar to a point guard in the sense that he passes a lot kind of tries to kind of like the, the leader on the court in, in the field in, the, in a sense. So I think that kind of let me see the game in a better view. I think there's a lot of similarities between soccer
1: and basketball. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, we talked about the, the hockey thing earlier, so that's unanswered to this question. But I'm curious, from where you sit, what's the biggest misconception that Americans have about Canadians? Um,
3: I, heard, I heard somebody tell me that they think we live in igloos and stuff like that. <laughs> but I think, I don't know, I think um, people saying A is also, it's not as common as what people think.
1: Do you do it or No.
3: No, nah, I don't think I do it.
1: Well good, then you can you can be the example. Say, so look at me, I don't do it, so obviously not all of us do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um a couple final things for you. Outside of family and friends, what do you miss most about home, about Toronto mm-hmm. and, and where you come from?
3: Um what do I miss most? Is it like a home?
1: restaurant you love or like oh, an activity yeah, yeah, yeah. you
3: can't do? Yeah, I love Tim Hortons. That's my favorite. I get Tim Hortons like once a day, every time I'm home, because I love it so much. <laughs> what's what's yeah. the go-to there go-to is like a cinnamon raisin bagel with like 10 timbits and like a french vanilla or like a chocolate milk or something like that
1: well wow, that's very specific you you go in there yeah. with a plan you you know what go you're doing in
3: there yeah consistent consistent plan over there. <laughs> so, um
1: a couple of final things about uh about the court for you I know it's going by really quickly but you know amazingly you guys are already headed into the back half of your season. What do you mm-hmm. think are the keys for this team to consistently reach its potential which we we've seen it at certain times but not all the time?
3: Yeah, I think it's that right there just being consistent and understanding we got to play hard all 40 minutes to get wins in the SEC um, on both sides of the floor and play as, play as a unit, play together, um, and just bring that every single night. You can't have no days off, and that's, a, that's the biggest thing we need to do.
1: In terms of your game in particular, what are you most focused on improving short-term individually?
3: Um, short-term individually, I just want to improve um, my leadership skills, um, getting the most out of the guys and making the best out of the season for sure.
1: Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, and good luck to you the rest of the year.
3: Thank you, man. Appreciate it.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to visit FloridaGators.com for all the latest news in the orange and blue, including scores, schedules, and more. Then come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.